0: All right, we're in Romans 9, great chapter in God's Word. Romans 9, verse 17 down through 18, 17 and 18. Well, let's read a little bit further uh, back to catch up on this a little bit because we're into a doctrine... That the world knows nothing about even the religious world totally flees away from this they don't want to mention it they'll never read these scriptures it's very important for you to learn this in god's word so let's start reading with um, verse 11 for the children uh, this lady had twins that's why for the children being not yet born, and neither having done any good or evil that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, it was said unto the mother Rebecca. The elder shall serve the younger, just as before they were born. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, hath he mercy on whom he'll have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Let's bow our heads. Father, open our hearts to understand spiritual things from thy word. These are important truths. These are the, the base, This is the basis of salvation. Thy own will and purpose. Lord, let us see that. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, verse 17 and 18 are going to be our lesson today. Let's look at 17 again. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. God's word can be lifted up only as high as God himself lifts it. And God lifts it so high that caution must be taken not to worship the word as written, but to worship the author of the word. Now some of the statements found in the word of God astound the imagination, for our thoughts are not his thoughts, and I'll give you one of these in Psalm 138.2. Look at Psalm 138.2. Here's what Psalm 138.2 says. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. How can you explain this? Magnified above all thy name? Once the Lord gave his name to Moses. Look at Exodus 3.13 always wondering what to call God. Well, Moses wanted to know what he should tell the people when he went to him, And this is what the Lord said in Exodus 3.13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. I am. You know what that means? Ever present. The past is as now. The future as, is as clear as the past. And both just like right now. I am. A simple name for our complex God who created the heavens and the earth and fills them with his presence. Now, heaven and earth is not big enough to even contain God. That's according to Solomon. Look at Second Chronicles 6.18. eighteen. Second Chronicles 6.18, back there just before Psalms, not too far. 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. 2nd Chronicles six eighteen, Solomon speaking. But will God in very deed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built. Now another place that his name is given five times and each successive time is noble and as divine as the others. That's in Isaiah 9, 6. Take a look at that. The name of God. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. First coming. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Do you get it? The Son born, a human being born, the Son given, I mean a child born. This child in flesh and blood is the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And yet we read he has magnified his word above all his name how great must that word be to be magnified above the mighty god and the everlasting father has it ever dawned in upon you that you are not just reading the bible you are reading the word of god And that these words are spirit and they are life according to our Lord Jesus Christ in John 6.63. Turn over there quickly and read it for yourself. John 6.63. It is the flesh, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you They are spirit and they are life. Do you understand there is no other book on the face of this earth that even begins to compare with God's word? Not another, anything in print compares with God's word. It's precious. It's ordained by God and preserved by God. Preserved for 3,500 years and you've got it on your lap reading it. Now, when God speaks, men should listen, but they don't. We have the case of Pharaoh, king of Egypt during Moses' time. That's what our lesson is about. Let's look at that again, Romans 9. Hold your place there. God told Moses to go speak to him. Already six times Moses spoke to Pharaoh, saying exactly what God told him to say, starting with, Let my people go. We have that in exodus nine thirteen through sixteen, and I guess you might as well see it see in our scriptures about Pharaoh. Exodus nine, Exodus nine thirteen. Okay. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. For now I will stretch out my hand that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up. Now listen. God spoke this through Moses to Pharaoh. This is exactly what he told him. I have raised thee up for to show in thee my power and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. So now when you read Romans nine seventeen. You see where that comes from? It's exactly uh, Paul's quoting what the Lord told Moses to tell Pharaoh, and, and and this is exactly what Paul's quoting. Only Paul starts it out. Now look at verse seventeen by saying, "The Scripture, the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh." Will you look at that, please? The scripture saith unto Pharaoh. The word scripture is here taken as being confined to the book of God. All that is written in it is divinely inspired. What you read in God's word stands in force as if God is speaking directly to you. Moses spoke to Pharaoh. God's words, and since they have been recorded, they are called scripture. From the way Paul starts this verse, we're taught that whatever the scriptures declare on any subject is to be considered as decisive on the point. It's the same in Galatians 3, verse 8 and 22. Turn to Galatians 3, verse 8 and verse 22. Some of you haven't learned your Bibles yet. You've got to learn where these books are so you can turn quickly. My words mean nothing. It's what you read in the scriptures are the most important things. Galatians three eight And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. He starts it out by saying, And the scripture foreseeing. Verse 22 But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Now here the word of God is so closely identified with Christ himself that the scripture is represented as possessing and exercising the peculiar privilege of God. What is done by God and what belongs only to him is ascribed to the scriptures proving that they contain the very words of god look at second timothy 3:16 second timothy 3:16 all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness sure there are lots of folks who don't believe this that doesn't make the word of none effect it's true whether anyone believes it or not God told Pharaoh even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that's our verse today and follows it with the destination of Pharaoh to his destruction that I might show my power in thee. For this very end, the birth, the life, and the seating of Pharaoh on the throne were all of divine appointment. Now, normally, humanly speaking, he came from a family of Pharaohs, and he was a relative, and he was trained and brought up. But in the, in the overall picture from God's viewpoint that we have, God raised him up. He was raised up or made to stand as the king of Egypt in order that by his opposition from the perversity of his heart, in him God might show his own power and exalt his own name. And believe me, he has done that very thing. Even today, thousands of years later, The story of God delivering the Jews out of the land of Egypt is told in every little church in the land. Every Sunday school class tells the story of God parting the Red Sea and the Jews all walking through on dry land. And the Egyptian army following were all drowned when the Lord closed the water back up. Our God told Pharaoh, For this purpose have I raised thee up. This truth respecting Pharaoh is what the scriptures declare and we ought never to pretend to go any further into the deep things of God but but bow submissively to every divine statement in here. I know you can't understand it. I can't either. We know that all sin will be found with men but here we are taught that even the sin of man will turn out for the glory of God. Look at Psalm 76.10. It's exactly what that says. Psalm 76.10. Psalms right in the middle of the Bible. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. We are assured that the judge of all the earth will in all things act righteously, although we may not be able to comprehend his ways, nor are we required to comprehend his ways. We are required to believe his word and the consistent, perfect character of God, regardless of our worldly thoughts and ideas. His thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. And we have that so clear in Isaiah 55, 8, and 9. But you don't have to turn there. We've read that over and over again. Isaiah 55 is a great chapter to read at any time. But it lets us know that our thinking is not along God's lines, and his isn't along ours. Now, our next verse says, Therefore hath he mercy, on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. By giving Pharaoh as a prime example, Paul now draws a general conclusion drawn from the preceding three verses, namely that God was not unrighteous in loving Jacob and hating Esau. It shows the ground of God's dealing both with the elect and the reprobate. It concludes that his own sovereign pleasure is the rule both with respect to those whom he saves and those whom he rejects he pardons one and hardens the other without a reference or cause to anything but his own sovereign will and all of this in accordance with his infinite wisdom holiness and justice now look how our lord says it in matthew 11:26 matthew 11:26 that's the verse or the section with the great promise in it, the great invitation where our Lord says, come unto me. When you say Matthew 11, there's your promise. But in Matthew eleven twenty six, it says, Even so, Father, for so it seemeth good in thy sight. What did? His loving some and rejecting others. See verse 25? At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hath revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemeth good in thy sight. God is not chargeable with any injustice in electing some and not others. For this is an act of mere mercy and compassion and that can be no violation of justice. The objects of mercy are persons who are miserable because they are guilty and therefore justly deserving punishment. And being guilty eliminates any right to mercy. A man can never have the right to mercy. And to talk of deserving mercy is a contradiction of words. Look at Psalm 86, 5. Psalm 86, 5 For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Also look at verse 15. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Mercy, then, is a particular kind of divine goodness it's sovereign and mercy is given to some and given to some injures no one now there's no reason for anybody to say it's not fair for god to give mercy to some and not to others because nobody deserves it can you get that through so hard for people to understand if god was only just there would be no place for mercy if he never acted as a sovereign benefactor, there could be no place for the plan of salvation. Now, a lot of folks take offense at the attribute of divine justice and its and its exercise in punishing the guilty. So wouldn't you think that to flee from that, they would run to the Scripture view of divine mercy? Yet in reality... The peculiar character of the mercy of God is as disagreeable to natural man as is his justice. And why is that? Because divine mercy is sovereign and to its objects unlimited. Human wisdom views God as merciful only if he's merciful to all. That's human wisdom. For persons not guilty of glaring sins God's mercy is not only expected by the world, but even claimed and demanded. Just because a person doesn't murder somebody or steal or commit adultery, they think they have mercy coming to them. Now, some folks live a clean, healthy style of life. Got that? For instance, Grandpa has been a hard worker, true to Grandma for 50 years, and they are both favorites of the grandkids, but neither had much to do with the church or the Word of God. The family would always gather together at Thanksgiving and at Christmas just to relax and have a great dinner. Close family. Grandpa would go fishing with the boys on Sunday. They were very close as a family. And one day, Grandpa died. He died as he lived. Smile on his face. A cheerful, helpful, loyal mate and father. But Christless. Loved the world and the things of the world. Good provider. Kind, gentle. Everyone says he was the nicest person they ever knew. He died that nice person. A person who never needed mercy. A person who never needed God and never took the time to read the Bible. Now to the world, to his wife and kids, this man deserved heaven. He deserved mercy even though he never asked for it. That's their idea. And if it is ever suggested that he went straight to hell, there'd be an uproar from everyone. He hardened his own heart against spiritual things and God hardened his heart by not interfering into his pleasant, prosperous life. I want to tell you, nobody gets saved unless God interferes into your life. Now, once again, you can see the importance of teaching kids and ourselves the Word of God. Only through the Word of God does the Spirit work to draw a sinner to Christ. Now, only from the Word of God do we see the extent of mercy. Instead of rejoicing, the heart of the self-righteous man will swell with indignation when he hears that mercy is extended to the vile and sinful to the self-righteous the only people classified as a sinner is a murderer and a thief the drunk and the adulterer they let slide because it's generally expected of all in society our lord came to save his people from their sins not in them look at matthew 121 matthew 121 And she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. You got it? Never in your sins. When you keep on sinning willfully and keep playing games and hiding and saying you're doing this when you're not and saying you're doing that and you are, you're not fooling God any. You might fool your mother or your dad or something like that for a while but you're not fooling God. You're not fooling your own conscience. You're not fooling your own heart. When our Lord preached, he preached mercy. And publicans and sinners heard him and received him and turned from their sins unto God. And this is what the proud, self-righteous Pharisees hated about Christ. He was constantly upbraided as receiving sinners and eating with them. Look at Mark 2.16. Matthew, Mark. Mark 2.16. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? You know, a a nice, self-righteous person not supposed to associate with sinners. Oh, associate with the the biggies, the well-dressed, the good-income, not the poor and the miserable, despised, rejected. Our Lord associated with sinners and am i glad Well, it had never had anything to do with me all right back to our verse again in whom he will he hardeneth. i know the world can't understand this and they don't want to especially the religious world they don't have any idea about this <laughs> wicked men are not restrained by the holy influences of grace i want to tell you that but by the different restraints under which they are placed by providence One example would be a boy or a girl raised on a farm. They have to work both at home and at school. They don't get out much. In the world's eyes, they are clean-cut and healthy. That's Providence giving them a clean start. Once they go to the city to work or to leave the farm or to go to college the natural restraints are taken off and then they're free to act according to their depraved minds and wills inclinations that's when the heart is hardened look at look at psalm 81:12 psalm 81:12 so I gave them up under their own hearts lust and they walked in their own counsels. You see, when the first restraint of providence is taken off, they'll go. Men are hardened when they take the suggestions of Satan and whom they are willing slaves. Now, why do I say willing slaves? Because 2 Timothy 2.26 says that they are held captive by Satan at his will, okay? That's every, every normal, natural individual. Whether it's President Bush, whether it's the captain of the Oakland Raiders, whether it's Michael Jordan, or anybody else, any great person in this world, by nature, as they are natural, before God ever deals with the heart, they are held captive by Satan at his will. And until the light of the gospel of Christ shines into a heart, it stays in darkness and hates the things of God. When a man is left entirely to himself, the commands, the warnings, the judgments, the deliverances, and all the truths of Scripture become causes of hardness. There's pride and presumption. All these things fill man in. Even the the. De- de- the delay of merited punishment and living to a ripe old age bring on hardening of the heart look at ecclesiastes 8.1 now there's a new one for you job psalms proverbs ecclesiastes ecclesiastes 8.1 we don't come here very often Who is a wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. That's when he gets older, is what he's talking about. In these ways, men's hearts are hardened through means that in themselves are supposed to bring the opposite effect. But make no mistake, by whatever means a heart is hardened, God is in control. I want you to see that now in 1 Peter 2.8. 1 Peter 2.8. I'm going to show you that God is in control of those hardened hearts. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word... Being disobedient. Now, it's talking about disobedient, unbelieving, stumbling people. And you would think God would be disappointed because they did not come to Christ. But what's it say? Whereunto also they were appointed. Who appointed them? You and me? Uh Uh-uh. No. Their mom and dad? Uh Uh-uh. Mom and dad's got them going to heaven. God has appointed them to be stumbling at the rock of offense. Okay? Stumbling at the word. Now, back in your Bible just before Revelation. Jude 4. Jude 4. It only is one chapter, so it's the fourth fourth verse in Jude. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. So no matter who slips in anywhere at any time on, in, in any century be it Oral Roberts or be it Jimmy Swaggered, or be it Tammy and Jimmy, they all slip in and get their notoriety, but they're ordained to this from of old, okay, who were, or, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, and you might as well add ungodly women, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, And our Lord Jesus Christ, they were already ordained to that. So I told you, God's in control. The persons here spoken of are all said to be ordained to condemnation, which, whatever it may be supposed to be, implies pre-appointment to it by God. Look at Proverbs 16.4. Back to the middle of the Bible, Proverbs 16.4. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. The existence of sin and the eternal punishment of it in wicked men was in the divine plan in the creation of the world. It shows that God will get glory in the punishment of the unbeliever as well as in the happiness of believers. Believing is so terribly important in the long run men aren't condemned because of anything they do except not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ turn to John 3.16 John 3.16 this makes it so simple for you to see what the condemnation of people really is you see they're all sinners they all deserve to go to hell but There's a way out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth, this is what counts, whosoever believes the gospel preached, the gospel written, whosoever believes that the Lord Jesus Christ is their substitute payment for their sin, that they're a sinner, a wicked, vile, guilty, hell-deserving sinner. You've got to know that or you'll never believe because that's why Christ died, see? See? gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal everlasting life but what if people don't believe well they perish you got it it's right there in the verse the same verse they perish look at verse 36 same chapter we're going to finish with this he that believeth here it is again Believing, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and that sounds so simple and easy and clear. Why? Why don't? Why? Why doesn't everybody believe? Well, it's because they don't have a heart to believe. They don't have a nature to believe. They love the world. They love the things of the world. They love their own rights. They call it. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But what? But the wrath of God abideth on him. If it abideth on him, it's always been there. It's not taken away. The only time the wrath of God is taken away from the head of anybody is when they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as their substitute. See, the world will say, "Would well, you believe on him as your Savior? Yes, yeah, Savior, fine. How about as your personal substitute? taking your place in the punishment of your sin. Our Lord Jesus Christ hanging on that cross for the, in the darkness for three hours, because he is God, he's infinite, makes up for all eternity in hell for all the members of the church, all the members of the bride. Let me get it straight to you. All the elect souls given to the Lord Jesus Christ. His three hours in darkness makes up for the eternity of millions because he is God. That's why. Now, isn't it sensible to throw away all your preconceived ideas and plans and education and study God's word, find your place in it, ask for mercy, obtain eternal life, be happy, clean, and look for him to come. What what a life can't go wrong. He's not deprived of anything. Lord, don't deprive you of a single thing but gives you happiness of heart and happiness of life. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon this simple Bible study today. Oh, you had to use great personages like Pharaoh, but there's a lot of plain little simple people like us who you also deliver and who you also pass by. And as long as the message goes out, nobody has to be passed by if they'll come unto Christ. If they don't come, it means you have rejected them. That's the only thing, the only way we'll ever find out. If you come to Christ, you know you've been elected. If you don't come to Christ, you've been appointed to that condemnation. Lord Jesus, have mercy upon all of this people. Teach us, make this serious to our hearts. We ask in thy precious name. Amen. Okay, you've got the 15 minutes to get you a little water, relax, some coffee in the back. The 11 o'clock hour will be a good service also.